0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod Podcast for Celtics Blog.
1: Yo, what's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Celtics Blog Podcast. Little bit of a bonus for you. We've got Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis. Now Greg's with us for a short amount of time. He, you know, said he would pop in, say what's up to everybody. He's on his he's on his thing. He's just on a road what's trip. What's up, from, everybody? On a road <laughs> trip from Texas to Boston, dude.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. I do it every single year. Um, I'm from Dorchester. Uh, that's why I'm a Celtics fan and that's why you that are listening to me when you're like why am I listening to this English guy and two dudes who live in Austin just understand that we grew up in Boston and every year just so that I don't lose I don't lose the touch and I don't lose too much of the accent I come back and I do it every summer for the month of July and get out of the Austin heat so I'm here I'm going to Red Sox game tomorrow and uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm loving it man I'm loving being back home. Yeah, so is, is that to tomorrow is
1: in saturday or tomorrow is in today
2: tomorrow as in friday so friday <laughs> july 9th yeah <laughs> this we gotta be very up. specific
0: very specific on this podcast as to which
2: day we're referring
1: because you're yeah. gonna have people like listening like there is no red socks game tomorrow this dude's talking calf dude this dude's not speaking facts
2: <laughs> yeah but I'll, I'll be i'll be at that game I'll be at that game uh, courtesy of my sister and her husband, my brother-in-law. My sister's the director of um, in-game entertainment or something like that for the Red Sox. And my brother-in-law, Kevin Gregg, is the president uh, or vice president of PR for the Sox. So needless to say, I get the hookup anytime uh, I'm in Boston. And this year, this game is against the Phillies, and Kevin's actually from Philadelphia. So hopefully they're pulling out the red carpet for me and my girlfriend. It's her first time at film Park, so... Looking forward to it.
1: More importantly, what everybody should note is Greg's got the hookup. That's yeah. all you need to know. If you're in a Boston area, Greg has the hookup. So you need to make sure that you're uh, doing something somehow, some way to get in his good graces. Because I'm sure there's going to be tickets available if you're really, 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 really nice to Greg and download some of his music at least 10,000 times <laughs> each.
0: And Adam, Absolutely. Adam, I know you're not a baseball fan, but I'm telling you, man, you come to Boston, we get, as you said, Greg's the plug. We got to get you to a game at Fenway, man. I know baseball's not your sport, but experiencing a game at Fenway is one of those bucket list activities.
1: Oh, dude, when I'm allowed to fly, when like I'm actually allowed, like it's not even just allowed to fly. When your country's going to allow me in and my country's going to allow me out, then um we can definitely start putting some dates down in books and start making stuff happen. For now, it's just normal life going on. Will, for everybody who was listening last week as well, Will was out in Mexico. Man, these guys lived the life. Here's me in reigning England, sitting in the same room for 12, 14 hours a day. We've got one dude driving across America. That's part of my dream. We've got another dude drinking beers on the beach. That's part of my dream. This is, this
0: is really unfair, man. Adam, live vicariously through us, man. This That's is what exactly we come on I'm this podcast doing. twice a week. We give you the info. You feel like you're in, that, you're in that moment. So we're trying to give you all the stuff that you can't get to right now. How was Mexico? It was great, man. You know, I had it like you and I were talking off off camera before we got on here. If you have a beer in your hands and your feet in the sand, it's, it's like a top five feeling. It's pretty hard to beat that. The only thing missing was I think I might have mentioned it last time I was on here. We had a little bit of a seaweed problem at the beach. And y'all, I'm I'm I was talking to Greg about this. You know, we're from Dorchester. We used to never go to the beaches right by Dorchester. We used to go to Nantasket, AKA Nantrasket all the time. And, you know, I've seen seaweed. I've dealt with seaweed in the water. This was a whole other level. Apparently this does happen between like late May to about end of July out in the Cancun area of Mexico. And uh, it was like 10 yards of thick seaweed. So I did like snorkeling one time, had to crawl through the seaweed to get to it. But, you know, like I said, when you look at all things considered, the pandemic we just went through, you got a cold corona in your hand, feet in the sand. There ain't not too much to complain about. So it was fantastic,
2: man. Spitting bars, Will. He's spitting bars. Let's go. <laughs> but Adam, yeah, you got the green screen, bro. So you can just Photoshop yourself in on, on Will's beach, you know?
1: Yeah. So I'm using a work computer at the moment. Um, Once this goes back to the office and I have my laptop fired back up, um there'll be projections on the back of it all the time it's just his work computer doesn't have the uh the processing power needed to render a green screen yeah you can be
0: like uh you could be like bill Hader, and i watched last night forgetting sarah marshall rewatched that so he has a couple of those yeah it's fantastic so he has a couple (laughs) of those calls with jason siegel where he pretends to be on the beach or he does his whole moon stick you can you can be like bill hater yeah so that i mean i know this is a
1: basketball podcast but hey it's the offseason so you can get to know us a bit better First thing we need to know is what you prefer, forgetting Sarah Marshall or Getting to the Greek? Oh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh really? I like Getting to the Greek. That just that little bit more, man.
2: They're yeah, they're man. both they're both great, great movies. Um I actually just watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I mean, probably during the pandemic. I think I probably watched both of them during the pandemic. Um, but they I mean, dude, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the the one line where the dude's like are those are those happy tissues or sad <laughs> tissues <laughs> that line gets me every single time man I, I, like that when i think about that movie that's the first line that comes to mind
0: yeah, for me it was just it, it was a quick reaction. Number one, I just watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall last night, so I'm a little biased. It's just very fresh in the memory. But I feel like it's a movie that I quote more often. And when I think about which one I've rewatched more often, even you know outside of the pandemic, it tends to be Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I, I think it's got to be one of my one of my most quoted movie lines. Just in everyday life, that I find a way like if you give me a broomstick, there's absolutely no way I'm not going to say you shall not pass every <laughs> single time. It's just guaranteed and it gets a laugh every time. It's gold. See, the movie I quote the most out of
1: all of them is probably um Friday, next Friday. <laughs> I think that's my most quoted movie of all time. I don't know why there's just so like, um, it's one of those movies that when you watch it, 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 like, I think it's cause I've seen it so much all the Friday films, but you don't laugh because like they're not funny. Ha ha, but they're quotable gold, man and sometimes those movies are better because it just gives you something to kind of cling onto week after week but um with uh getting to the greek for me it's that stroking the furry wall and whenever <laughs> i Whenever I used to be out at bars and stuff, you know when people are just really drunk and they're kind of just leaning their head up against the wall somewhere, just waiting for an Uber or waiting for their friends to come and save them. I used to I'd just walk up to them like, dude, just stroke the wall, man. stroke the wall. <laughs> and uh, the ones that understood were like super, they were into it, they would joke around with me and then other guys are just like, who's this guy telling me to strike the wall, man? <laughs> so um, it can go both ways and both ways are really entertaining as long as nobody <laughs> gets upset. <laughs> so, But anyway, basketball, basketball, basketball. We, we There is a very, very small amount of basketball to speak about because there is no basketball if you're not a Phoenix fan or a Milwaukee fan. I think we should start this podcast by saying, who do you want to win the finals?
2: Um, I'm going to go first on that one and it's because Will's probably going to steal my answer. He, we have the same brain. Um, I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns because Chris Paul, one of my all-time favorite players, and I've been a huge, huge Devin Booker guy since his rookie year. Um, I, I think, I, I forget if he's one or two years ahead of Tatum, but when we had the number one pick, I was tweeting out, I probably have the receipt somewhere. I don't know how to search Twitter, but I have the receipt somewhere. I wanted the Celtics to trade that number one pick for Devin Booker. Like, I love deep book. Um, so if he gets that championship, I would love, I would love to see that happen. Um, I'm a big Bill Simmons fan, but I, I didn't like when Bill Simmons a couple summers ago was like coming at Devin Booker for not playing on Team USA. So if Devin Booker gets the championship this year and then goes to Tokyo and helps him earn a gold medal, like that is the retribution that he needs and the redemption that he needs. Um, so I, I, I really want the Phoenix Suns to win.
0: Yeah, that would, that would erase Bill Simmons entire stance on Devin Booker in less than about three weeks just in one fell swoop, knock out every, every complaint he's had. But yeah, I'm with Greg. I'm I'm rooting for the Phoenix Suns in this finals. It's a legacy finals. When you look at Chris Paul, you know, I I think if you talk about, Overall, point guards in history of the NBA, you know, there's probably a Mount Rushmore that you can get to pretty quickly of the top four, and I think that fifth spot is really up for debate. Depending on do you prefer, you know, Steve Nash and his MVPs, do you prefer, you know, Chris Paul and the statistics and the you know longevity of his career, John Stockton and his records is different ways that you can go. But I think being the lead guy on an NBA Finals champion team, especially as a little guy goes a long way in that conversation. And I think that really cements him as probably the the fifth best point guard in the history of the NBA. And, you know, like Greg, I've always liked Chris Paul. He's, he's one of those guys that you kind of hate to play against, but you know deep down if he's on your team, you're the biggest Chris Paul stand in the world, and you're defending that guy to every single person on Twitter that tries to chirp you. Anybody at the bar that tries to disparage his name, you're the one that's ready to throw down with blows. So I've always respected Chris Paul and liked him. And the Phoenix Suns, it's, it's just a fun team to watch. Like all year, I didn't have the courage Mm -hmm. to say that I think that they were going to get out of the Western Conference. I thought it, I don't have anything to say that. So you can all say I'm BS and maybe you're right, but I really, I really thought that this Suns team, like there was something holding me back from saying that they could get out of the West because until a bunch of injuries happened, The West is just so so darn tough, and there's so many elite players that you figured Kawhi would put his stamp on a series. Going up against LeBron and AD seemed like a bad matchup. AD gets hurt. That changes everything. You know, Jamal Murray's not in that. I'm not trying to take away from their run, but just the amount of players that went down that... Stop me from leaning in to, you know, what would have been at the time a bold Phoenix Sun take, but I've liked watching them all season. So I'm pulling for the Suns to to go ahead and get
2: this. Well, I, it's it's kind of tough when, uh, you know, their backup point guard is campaign. How much can you believe in a team when campaign is your backup point guard? He's played great in these playoffs. He's surprised the heck out of me. Um, but they also got Jay Crowder, Yeah, you know, former Celtic Jay Crowder doing big things um i'm i'm i was a huge jay crowder guy when we got him in that initial rondo deal and then i soured on, on him over time um to the point where last year i was disparaging that man in the bubble and i was just like the self that's like jay crowder's gonna cover jason tatum get out of here we're going to the finals like that's that that's who i was last year uh so I, i'm happy for jay because I, I was a i was a big jay crowder fan initially in boston and i think He's the type of guy that the Celtics, if we, uh, whenever we transition into the Celtics, we need to bring in another Jay Crowder type this offseason.
1: So the thing is, right, for one, I'm going with the Suns as well. I think that we're going to see um, this won't be Giannis's last trip to a finals. And I think that this could possibly be Chris Paul's last trip to a finals. And I want that for Chris Paul. Um, I'm not too fussed if D Book wins it now. I think he's going to be, we'll see him in a finals again, mate, possibly in the future. But um, I, I like the Phoenix Suns. I do think that there's going to be a lot of people out there that did make that bold Phoenix take early in the year, and they're going to live off that until they're telling their grandkids on. The- <laughs> you know Could have been I mean? me. So Could have been me, man. Just in a, in a rocking chair with a whiskey, just like man. I remember kids back in twenty twenty one when it, the odds were stacked against Phoenix, and no one will ever talk about the way the injuries fell for this run. This, this, mm. these old people in fifty That'll years be forgotten but, over time. Yeah. 30, 40 years, you're telling your grandkids it was just a legendary run that you called it when no one believed you and you're a genius because you can read box scores. Uh, I think that that's – I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe just passing through somewhere in America, maybe in Phoenix and hearing these stories in, like, 30, 40 years where uh, people just leave out a lot of the context. But, no, I think that's great. And you mentioned Campaign, um, which is funny because his name sounds like Campaign. Um, <laughs>
2: campaign campaign
1: yeah the campaign campaign <laughs> but this is the thing man I'm, I'm happy to create a little campaign for campaign to be a point guard in Boston I think though he's played himself into a much bigger deal than what Boston are going to be willing to pay uh, I think Phoenix are going to want to try and keep him around as well because he has played fantastically for them I do think his jump shot is one of the more unorthodox
2: jumpers in the league, it's and a lot of strange it. man.
0: I never think it's going in, and it surprises me every time when it does.
2: It's the le- it's the, literally like the lefty Lonzo before Lonzo yeah. fixed his form.
1: Yeah, but it, it, yeah, that's it. He kind of like turns his whole body instead. Where Lonzo would drag the ball over his body, campaign's just turning his body to the side and fighting yeah. like this. It's like it's great. It's like street ball one oh one from back in like ninety two. Like,
2: <laughs> well you know what's you know what's really interesting so i i was a shooting coach uh down here in texas for a couple of years and i actually worked with um this guy he was an australian guy his name was rick rick castle I, th- I think it was rick um coach rick castle and he was teaching a shooting method that was the way campaign shoots and it was like specifically geared towards lefties and the way that lefties position their bodies and it's like it it, it was kind of based off of the the theory of throwing darts you know how when you when you line up your body for darts, you turn you turn your body completely almost, you know, um, perpendicular to the board. And I think that that is pretty much how campaign shoots. So I'm wondering if that was something that he, he's done his whole life or, if and, and then a coach kind of had him lean into it a little bit more, or if that's something that, you know, was um, kind of just taught to him over time, because it, it is very unorthodox, but there is like a theory behind that way of shooting. And it is based on, you know, how you throw a dart.
1: I just think it slows your release down, right? Because you have to move, turn your body that part. If you're trying to shoot after dribble, does that extra motion of going to that perpendicular stance before releasing rather than just pulling straight up and firing one in someone's dome? So I do think that it does slow down that release, but it's not hindering him at all, man. He's playing excellent basketball right now. And um, if anyone's following me on social media, they're going to see that I'm doing um, a YouTube series at the moment. Please subscribe YouTube, backslash AdamTaylorNBA. I'm going to be doing a lot of work there over the next few months. In fact, I'm going to be doing it there permanently now as well. Let's go. But, um, what I'm doing, like, at the moment, it's um, realistic point guard options. So I thought I'd reel these guys off to you, see which ones you like, which ones you don't. Oh, we'll so camp- I've got TJ McConnell, Campaign, Patty Mills, Ricky Rubio, and... um. I did have one more, but his name
0: eludes me at the moment. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take this one first. So T.J. McConnell's the one that jumps out to me, and, and part of it is defaulting to. And I think we got into this last week, Adam, a little bit with the cap difficulties that come along with some of the other players that could be available. And you're talking about campaign playing himself into a larger contract. Also, just a bizarre side note with him and Reggie Jackson having postseasons that are turning them into you know players that are going to far exceed what you would have their value was on the open market I don't know four weeks ago or whatever it was but anyways I think like you said he may have played himself out of that range so while I like campaign and I love what I've seen him in the postseason I don't know that he's a realistic option so out of the people that you mentioned I think TJ McConnell fits that mold and he's one of those guys that every time I watch him he feels like you know we've talked about wanting more of that that grit, that tenacity that brings it on the defensive end. You know, he's one of the the league leaders in steals. You know, he's one of those guys that I think would be an absolute, you know, home run fan favorite if you put him in Boston. He's gonna be that guy that will come in, play fifteen to twenty minutes. You're not gonna hear a peep out of him. He's gonna be that guy that does a lot of the dirty work. And I think with the way that, you know, our guard rotation hypothetically could set up at this point, I think he'd be a great asset for us to have and could be affordable for us with the financial flexibility that we'll have this offseason.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think TJ McConnell will be a great guy to bring in. Um the only thing is like is he just it, would that make Peyton Pritchard redundant? I know Peyton Pritchard has a little bit more of the three-point shot. TJ McConnell is kind of notorious for not taking three-pointers. Um, but if we brought him in on a one or two-year deal, and if we see Peyton Pritchard as someone that we want to keep around for you know an extended period, um, with in Green, maybe TJ McConnell is even you know a mentor for Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, that's and point. we could kind of look at it in that way. Um, but you know, Ricky Rubio is someone that I've always liked. Um, the injuries obviously have sapped him of that athleticism that made him special when he was a 17 year old point guard playing for the span national team um but he he he's always been a guy that i think would work well in green he's a pass first point guard with a great iq great defender i think he would compliment jason tatum and Jalen brown really really well um patty mills just familiarity with email udoka i think would would definitely help the Celtics' ability to stretch the floor. He's one of those guys that the Celtics have, haven't have had in a while with the ability to come off of pin downs and shoot from distance. You know, a lot of the three-point shooters that Celtics have had in the past have been spot-up three-point shooters, which is why Aaron Neesmith is also so exciting as a prospect. Um, so, Patty Mills, I actually wouldn't hate that because of that versatility that he brings. Um, but if I had to choose between all of those guys, I think I would go with Ricky Rubio. But it is 5.30 I gotta dip out of here. I got dinner plans in the seaport in Boston with the fam. Uh, everybody, listen to Black Sheep Optimus. Peace. And we want
1: pictures. We want pictures of the food.
2: That's right, you. man. I got you. i Throw got them you. up on the gram. Uh, All yeah, right, dude. Peace. Peace
1: out, dude. So for me, like, I'm going through these and I'm trying to not have a um an opinion because then I feel like one I'm gonna be biased against everybody yeah. else. But the one thing I tweeted this out earlier today, the one thing that I am looking at is. What if you just don't go and get a point guard? What if you run Romeo Langford as a ball handler alongside Peyton Pritchard? You have them interchanging ball-handling duties. You re-sign Fournier. You put the ball in his hand more. you still got Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum's going to be ball-handling. What if what you really need is a four? A decent stretch four or some, you know what I mean? And you don't need to spend that money on the guard option. I get that Kemba's gone. I get that you've lost that star power at the guard position. So then everyone focuses on replacing that loss. But is it really necessary or do the Celtics have enough in the cupboard to explore everything they've got
0: leading up to the, the trade deadline where they can make more of a definitive decision? Yeah, so I mean I don't think it's crazy. And I think it's something Brad Stevens as a coach alluded to, but it was going to be more of a process. And at the time Romeo returned from his injury, it really was, and there's no practice for this particular this past season, it just really wasn't the time to experiment with, with Romeo as that lead ball handler in a second unit. I think the idea in theory, and especially at the time, you know, when you think of Evan Turner on the coaching staff, that's kind of the mold, right? That I think you'd want to emulate to a certain degree. So in theory, I like it. I think the biggest thing is you have to be okay with taking your bumps early in the season while you work it out. It's not going to be... Perfect from the jump. If it is, I'd be very surprised. I'm not saying that it can't work. I just think it would take time. And it depends on the patience level of, you know, and this is something that we're learning right now. We're learning the tendencies of this front office of Ime Udoka as a coach. What is their philosophy going to be? Are they going to be okay? You know, with so much emphasis being put around supporting the Jays here now and in the future, if that doesn't fit supporting the Jays and what they need now is having this experiment by not going to get another ball handler and trying to put Romeo into that mold. You know, I don't know if maybe that diverges from their plans. I'm not opposed to it. I just think you have to be patient with it. And I don't know if, if the way that this management team is going to think about it is that let's, let's work on that in the background, but, we're not ready to fully invest in it on the court yet. So let's go get TJ McConnell for one year, three and a half million, or if we have the taxpayer mid-level, whatever it might be, or maybe go find another, not Jeff T who's in the NBA finals, which still hurts my eyes to see, but go get another veteran minimum that it's easy to move on from when you feel ready to then go ahead and put Romeo in that position in game action.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, like I completely agree. I think you could go and try and pick up uh you know, swing some to bring Rondo back or find a veteran somewhere. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like, I'm not like I'm not championing for Romeo to get every ball handling opportunity when he's on the floor. But, you know, feed him the rock a bit more. If he's sharing mm-hmm. the floor with Pritchard and teams are hedging up on Pritchard hard after pick and roll because of that three-point shooting, start to let Romeo work some offense in there to see what Romeo can create off the dribble, see how his drives start to force reactions. And I just think that, because of the defense he brings and like the stability of um, wing defense that he can provide and point of attack defense, it makes sense to have him out there and actually give him a bit of an offensive role rather than just saying, "Hey Romeo, you're going to D up and you're going to stand yeah. in the corner." I think that you need to de- if he, if you've got this vision, long term vision of Romeo as a ball handling wing, or you're going to move him to the point because of the size of his gu- the size he's got, the athleticism, the lateral quickness, then you need to start at least developing that. It doesn't need to be, he handles the ball all the time, but it needs to be, you know, there's five to eight possessions a game where he's the guy initiating the offense. And if it's working, you slowly start to increase those possessions over time. Uh, For me, I think that's fine. Uh, And then you can still work in the the background and have your veterans handle the ball more consistently. But just feed him in bits and like little dribs and drabs and just build on that bit by bit. Because you can work on anything in the gym all day. But until Mm -hmm. you're in game time, you don't
0: know what's going to work and what's not. You need to learn off those mistakes. Yeah, and I think regardless, with Romeo, they have to figure out what what are they going to do with him when it comes to offense? Because this being year three that we're going into, this is a major year to figure out, is Romeo a part of this team going forward? What's his role? What can he do? What does he bring to the table? We know defensively what he can bring, but there has to be something offensively that he can do for you. So I, I think regardless of which way they go with it they're going to experiment in some form or another with how Romeo fits into this offense and whether or not he's part of the the long-term vision and that's what consistent health does for you though right like we're coming into the
1: season saying right we can see a role for Pritchard this year this year we can see where Pritchard's going to end up in this rotation we can envision him being the first guard off the bench we can envision him being um, operating as a two guard and operating as a ball handler and moving positions interchangeably and we feel very comfortable discussing that because we've had a full season mm-hmm. of healthy Pritchard to see where that floor is where he is now and to kind of gauge what type of ceiling he's going to have Neesmith we, again we saw real a real rough patch early but then he became quite a consistent defender he started, um, you know, Brad started putting him in more movement shooting um, plays and we started to see some Um, some consistency there and we saw him attack off the dribble more and now we're coming in feeling real good about where Neesmith can go and how he can develop but again that's consistent health and I feel like this is where Romeo and Rob Williams to a lesser extent are both being kind of um, overlooked now saying Rob Williams is overlooked is a stretch because everybody (laughs) including me thinks that he's got the potential to be one of the more um, diverse bigs in the league (laughs) But again, the health has to be an issue, and Romeo's in that same boat. You know, you need to. Like, if you think about it, Rob's breakout year was the third year. We didn't know what type of defender Rob was going to be. We didn't. We knew he could pass. We we saw glimpses. We didn't. We never seen anything definitive. And this is what we want from Romeo, right? This is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. We, we want this third year to kind of mirror Rub's production, but not have the injury at the end of the year. And I think both of the, those two young guys are coming into this season with uh, some question marks for different reasons that I'm hoping Udoka puts them in a position to play to their strengths and start earning a bit of value around the league. Because right now, if you want to move on from Romeo, you're getting pennies on the dollar. And yeah. with the ceiling he's got, I, I said this the other day and I'm going to stand by this, out of Pritchard, Neesmith, Romeo, and Grant Williams, Romeo Langford has the highest ceiling of all of them, but he also has the lowest floor. And I think that's the biggest denominator. He could be the best one out of that those four young guys by like by quite a wide margin, but he could also never develop because he's not going to get the opportunities. He's not going to stay healthy. By the time he gets moved on to another team, he might have missed the boat to really push that development on, um, or he'll be a late bloomer. So I, I'm just really curious to see how much Brad, uh, as president of basketball operations, how much as Udoka, really kind of um, buy into developing the youth. And I said, I want to ask you this. You look at, yeah. they've bought in Stoudemire as a coach. They've bought in Hardy as a coach. Yeah, got Mighty Mouse. They've got Udoka. But is there anyone there with a reputation as a development coach, a high level development coach that's respected around the league for pushing guys to new levels young guys getting them ready to be that borderline star and I think that that might be something that I don't know enough about Hardy or um, Stademeyer to know this which is why I'm asking you if you know what type of coaches they are and what they bring to the team
0: I mean, I've done probably this, the, the same research it, it, as to these two particular guys, Damon Stoudemire and Will Hardy, and both have great reputations. You know, Stoudemire obviously being a player, I, I mostly remember him from his time with the Raptors and his time with the Blazers in the NBA, and that being, you know, right around the time that my love for the NBA started to develop, and picturing Damon Stoudemire in that Toronto Raptors cartoon jersey is one of my favorite all-time jerseys. So I just want to throw that out there. Maybe we'll circle back to that, but you know I, I think for him, it's the relationship as, you know, a not too, you know, a fairly recent player in the NBA that can work and connect with these guys. And then from the Will Hardy standpoint, you know, his reputation is, you know, very hard worker, very similar to Eric Spolstra started off as a video intern uh, and then worked his way onto the San Antonio Spurs coaching. staff. So he has that Greg Popovich pedigree. Now do any of them, do either of them fit the mold that you're talking about? At least to my knowledge, no. And that's where I wonder as the, as Brad Stevens and Ime Odoga continue to finish filling out the staff, I wonder if they do look for a veteran presence because while Damon Sotomayor and Will Hardy both have assistant coaching experience within the NBA, you know I wouldn't say it's it's a you know it's not a crazy amount of experience, and they're not certainly a grizzled veteran that you do see on certain benches. So it will be interesting to see how they fill that out. But it's but like you said, it's kind of unknown as to how these two are going to affect and how they're going to impact the players on this bench, yet both seem to be getting great reviews as far as being positive hires. And, you know, I don't know if I can champion or stand that. I also am not going to push back or disagree, you know, but it's, it's interesting to see people, you know, say these are solid home runs when really, to me, they feel more like unknowns, but not necessarily in a negative way. We just have to wait and see a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean they're coming in with reputations. They're coming in with pedigree, and I think that when you looked at Brad Stevens' coaching staff last year, I remember putting this in an article. I remember tweeting it out. There was a very limited amount of playing experience from top to bottom of that coaching staff. Um, I think Jay Larinaga had played in like some Irish league. Um, there was a couple of guys that played Division Three college. No yeah. one had sniffed the NBA, you know. And um, I think that bringing in someone like Adoku then Adoka and then adding Stademeyer, both NBA players Mm -hmm. in their own right, that adds something that the Celtics might have been missing. And then you bring in Will Hardy that fits under the same coaching tree as Udoka, so their their philosophies are going to align in that type of... It it makes a ton of sense. But these feel like hires for guys, for veterans, and for guys entering their prime, not Mm -hmm. for guys trying to find their way in the league. And I think that's where, like... The loss of like a Jerome Allen or a Jay Larenega, that's going to be felt there because you've got now your your um your core coaching staff are perfectly set to to help guys like Jason and Jaden take that next step towards superstardom or stardom, and then you and you know help Marcus Smart refine his game to become the most valuable version of himself and so forth. But there isn't a coach there to help the newbies, the first, second, third Mm -hmm. year guys find their way in the league and understand their roles. And I think that that's a a one piece from the entire like coaching puzzle that needs to be there as a connector to help these young guys understand what these other coaches that are like talking to the more experienced players help that message
0: get passed down in a bit easier terms to understand. Yeah and you know as you're talking Adam, you know, maybe that's going to influence the roster construction of this team. You know, we haven't gotten to the free agency period, You know, I'm sure we'll touch on Evan Fournier here in a minute, you know, but when you look to this team and that back end of that roster, which we talked about a lot during the season, and as it currently stands, it's still fairly young, or not even fairly young, it is young, I'll just straight up, you know, and so maybe this is where we start to see that shift, depending on what the coaching staff looks like, in which they are looking for more of that How do we support the Jays with more veterans in the present and then keep flexibility in the future and maybe take a step back? I mean, we've already traded our first round pick 16th pick to bring back Al Horford. So, you know, right now we're not going to have a top tier pick to bring in a new person or a new player. That's going to be, you know, maybe the, Forty-fifth pick ends up being someone that we develop long term, but there's not going to be an immediate player on the end of that bench that's going to warrant minutes and you know immediately come into a place where they need to develop and get something out of him. So I think it's interesting when you look at it from that perspective that maybe going with guys like Damon Stoudemire or Will Hardy or you know just the general trend in the NBA of bringing in some of these players as assistant coaches these recent players that it's leaning towards for the Celtics maybe it could be more veterans and we see a little bit less of some of these young guys and maybe some of the roster moves coming up here in the offseason will dictate that
1: yeah and I was like um I was alluding to that and it was definitely hope some but you kind of um articulated it far better than what I could have to be quite I got you bro we on the same wavelength I got you um but I agree I think that there's a lot of um There's a lot of versatility on this roster, but it's raw versatility. And sometimes raw versatility isn't very versatile at all. Because you need need to be willing to take those lumps. And those lumps might last 18 months of consistent playing time for them to really find out who they are in this league. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't kind of mesh up with what the Celtics want to achieve um, in the immediate future, in the short-term future. And like you said, building out this roster with additional veterans, but keeping that flexibility. Well, if you have that flexibility and you're not putting a premium on draft picks at this moment in time, because you're in a soft rebuild, basically, you're rebuilding your bench. Then now guys like Romeo are going to be more valuable to move on. But to in order to do that, you have to you, you have to rebuild that value. You yeah. don't want to sell low. You always want to sell high. And the only guy you can sell high on right now is Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, you know what I mean and that's the one guy I think you should realistically be trying to keep so you need to give some of these young guys time to play to be able to showcase what they can Mm -hmm. do and then look to move them on so while I do agree I think that we're going to see more veterans make their way to Boston in the coming months I would very much kind of hedge my bets with some of the um younger guys being swung for
0: other veterans, I would hedge that to happen closer to the deadline than I would yeah, close to the start. That's exactly of the what I was thinking. That this could lead to some more in-season moves. You know, obviously here in the in the off-season, we're gonna be limited, which we'll we'll talk about. But in season, once you get a little bit more, you know, data on Romeo Langford on Aaron Neesmith, on you know, whoever it may be, even Rob Williams, because with his injuries, he still probably needs a little bit more time to build up his value since his season ended on another injury. You know, if those guys are to be moved, if some of those other younger guys at the end of the bench, Grant Williams are to be moved. You would hope, like you said, you're selling high on them, and so maybe that will be in season. They have a couple of good games. Their value's up a little bit. There's still a few TPEs that maybe we can get into, or well, actually, I don't want to get into. The Celtics can get into that. We've gotten into. I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm TPE yeah, out. Done.
1: I'm done. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm I'm wasted. I'm I'm beach wasted off of TPE. You know beers right now. I don't I don't need any more of those ever again in my life. But, you know, but that could be a way that they they use these guys to then flip them into a more veteran presence in season. And that makes the most sense to me. The only way I see them
1: making a move now with some of these young guys is if there's somebody they really, really value highly in the draft. And they try mm-hmm. and leverage, hey, you, you can have, um, you know, you can have Grant Williams look at forget what he did this year. Look at his rookie year. There's does, does potential there. You can have a Robert Williams or whoever it may be. If yeah. you really value someone in this draft and you're like, they can come in and it doesn't matter about their age. They're going to be able to contribute from the get-go. They're NBA ready. Then I can see that deal being made. But it's very, I can, I'm can i really struggling to see multiple deals happening um, to bring in veterans. I think the Tristan Thompson is going to be a deal that happens at some point. Um, and I think that that's going to bring you back a veteran. I think that Evan Fournier Thor- a lot rests on Evan Fournier as well. I think yeah the, I think whether Evan Fournier comes back or not dictates how aggressive Brad Stevens has to be in this offseason. I think that correlation 100%. there is hand in hand.
0: Yeah, that's step one. That's before any other domino can fall in this offseason, it's what happens with Evan Fournier. Now the Kemba Walker question got answered so quickly. Number one is what happens with Evan Fournier, you know, at the very beginning of free agency. That's going to dictate the rest of this offseason here. And it
1: has to, because until you've got him tied up, you don't know how versatile your offense is. You don't know where the extra creation's coming from, where the shooting's coming from. So you have to get that check, that box ticked before you can move on. And if that Mm -hmm. box doesn't get ticked because another team has filled their need by bringing in Fournier, well, now your aggression needs to ramp up and you need to have, you know, you need to go straight to your plan B and really start chasing those targets that you've got get on the phone and see who's available for a Grant Williams, see who's available for a Christian Thompson plus um, Carson Edwards because yeah. they need to move on from Carson
0: very quickly. Let me ask you, Adam, how important do you view this front office bringing back Evan Fournier? See, I'm at like a, a 70%
1: importance rate. Okay. Like I think that Fournier, you're not going to replace what he can give you with the limited salary flexibility that Boston have. I d- I don't think they have enough trade pieces that they'd be willing to part with to to bring somebody back that can match that um that contribution that impact. So I think bringing him back is um, almost like imperative, just borderline, be- just because of how hard it is to replace him if he walks and losing another player for nothing again for like the third year in a row. Um, I I don't think I'm willing to stomach that.
0: Yeah, I'm actually even a little, I'd even put mine probably more in eight or a nine to so 80, 90% for me. Because like you said, we just can't keep having assets leave and not getting anything in return. And with Evan Fournier, you know, you as we saw this past season, you kind of need some of those mid-tier contracts, which is why you referenced Tristan Thompson as being a guy you move on from. So, you know, Evan Fournier, a guy who seemingly fits a lot of the skill sets that you need to play off the Jays to increase, you know, their skill set and their valuable their their valuableness to the team and, you know, giving them the biggest amount of resources to be successful. Evan Fournier seems to be a guy that checks a lot of those boxes as to who you want playing off of them. And, you know, Keith Smith had that article uh, recently on Celtics blog. And, you know, he highlighted that in Evan Fournier's time with the Celtics, he was shooting over 50% on catch-and-shoot threes. So while the Jays are penetrating, or hopefully we, or then bring in maybe another point guard that that can penetrate, you want Evan Fournier to be in that position. I mean, shooting over 50%, that's Joe Harris land. And I know Joe, Joe Harris didn't have a great postseason, but let's be real. Ca- shooting over 50% on catch-and-shoot, that's, that's a skill set that every single NBA team is looking for. And so if you can lock in a guy like that, who can help you in the immediate sense and then also give you a salary that you can work with or that's just as part much part of that flexibility that Brad Stevens has talked about is having salaries to work with in the trade market when trades become available. So if you can lock him up somewhere in that 16 to 18 million range for, for three years and he's valuable on court and can be valuable as an asset going forward to build a larger trade package, I think it's extremely important because I, plan B with having a team come over the top and sign Fournier away, Plan B is going to require a little bit more patience than I think Celtics fans want to hear right now. But I think that would be the true the truth of the matter is that while Evan Fournier is probably not immediately re-signing here, and then all of a sudden we're you know top two three championship contenders, I think having him as a piece for the long term will go a long way. Whether that's with him as the asset on the court or him as the contract asset off the court.
1: And I was having a debate that kind of revolves around this on Instagram earlier today where I was kind of saying there's only so much star power a team can possess. You know what I mean? The, the, the salary cap sees to that. That is the way the league is structured. Every team, it's it's very difficult to be like, well, if Fournier goes, we're going to swing a deal and bring in Bradley, Bradley Beal, but we're going to keep Jason and Jalen. We're just going to, you know, we're going to give you Christian Thompson, Carson Edwards, Grant Williams, and you're going to give us Bradley Beal but yeah. like it doesn't happen. So that patience factor has to come into play because to go big game hunting, you need the net to catch the big game. The net in this case, in this scenario, is the salary cap flexibility. And I think that Evan Fournier, and what I was getting at was, you need high-level role players to be successful yeah. in this league. With or without that star power, The high-level role players dictate your long-term success. Yeah, look and at Jay Crowder. Um, we mentioned him earlier with the Suns. Jay Crowder is a perfect example of that. And now we're looking at Boston, like Evan Fournier is your high-level role player. If you lose Evan Fournier, well, now if you do want to bring in a high-level role player, just go, and like plan B is not only going to involve patience, but it's going to involve deals that will be difficult to stomach. It's Mm -hmm. going to, I'm not saying it's going to be Marcus Smart. I'm not saying it's going to be Jalen Brown, but there are going to be moves made that make you really question whether Brad Stevens doing things in the interest of the team whether this was the right deal, it's not going to be clear-cut and dry that it was a win for Boston because any deal you make now to start replacing the production lost by Fournier, the production on point guard that Kemba was giving you when healthy, Mm -hmm. some tough deals need to be made and it's going to be a real tough sell. And I think that um, that's the type of importance that Fournier holds along with the
0: flexibility he gives you on a contract, as you kind of explained. Yeah, life for the Celtics gets very complicated if Evan Fournier does not come back here. Life is a lot simpler, Celtics fans, if Evan Fournier is back in a Celtics uniform. And, you know, the worry is that with it being a week off season or a week offseason free agent class, is that there is a team willing to come in over the top and completely shake up Evan Fournier's market value. And it really just takes one team. And, you know, the the part for me that I keep thinking about is this time last year, and it's not exactly this time last year, but within the the realm of where the offseason would have been, you know, I was so confident, it wasn't even crossing my mind, that Gordon Hayward was not going to pick up a $34 million option. I had just banked it in my mind. Gordon Hayward's back on this team. You know, Gordon Hayward had arguably his best season as a Celtic the year before he opted out. The injury in the bubble obviously was was killer. And so the thinking was in my mind, all right, well, we run it back with this team, and we have a healthy Gordon Hayward in that Miami Heat series, we're probably in the finals. That team was really good. Gordon Hayward was was finding his rhythm. Maybe he wasn't happy with his role and his rhythm, but he was finding it, and he was a huge asset for us. As we, as we discovered, we've been trying to fill that. Evan Fournier is trying to fill that void for us still, you know, right now. And so it hadn't even crossed my mind. And right now I feel in a similar capacity with Evan Fournier, where in my mind everything that the Celtics front office is saying, the way we're operating is as if we expect Evan Fournier to be back but truth of the matter, just like Gordon Hayward, he's in control of his own destiny. Evan Fournier holds all the cards here, and he can honestly do what he wants. And that could be a wild card that completely throws this this all out of whack. And we had the exact same feelings about Al Horford the year before.
1: He's exactly. going to take a team-friendly deal that's front-loaded with cash early and declines as he gets older. And he's going to do that because he knows Boston are close. And then that didn't happen either. So I think for me, it's like once bitten, twice shy. Third time, I'm not a fool. I'm looking at every opportunity that um, presents itself to Fournier, and I'm trying to analyze it from more of a uh, a neutral standpoint because we've seen we've seen Boston in this position twice before in as many years, and both times it's never gone the Celtics' way. So, and knowing that teams like New York can come in and be like, "Hey, dude, yeah. do you want just a one-year deal? Here's twenty-five mil." You exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, Maybe that's too hard was, to pass up. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Keith Smith when he was on on Celtics with John Corrales that kind of um, postulated that type of offer that New York could come in and just be like, here's a one-year deal, 25 mil, you go back on the free agent market, you're going to make loads of money this year and you're still going to be young enough to sign another contract a year from now. Why would Fournier turn that down? Especially when New York looked like they're slowly work building up to becoming a destination mm-hmm. again. I know it's only one playoff appearance. It's going, you know, lightning can strike anywhere. Once they're going to need to keep building on what they've they've um, put the foundations in place for. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you're not looking at like, oh, I'm going to go in there just to pick up a paycheck. I'm going in there to pick up a paycheck, and we're trying to compete. That becomes more um, enticing anyway. So there is a lot of questions around Fournier and what's going to happen. And I think, and like, like we've both kind of said now, I think that, you know, if Fournier doesn't re-sign in Boston, things are going, the, the direction of the team is going to change quite quickly, and yeah. we're not going to like everything that happens from there on out. Yeah, I think
0: that no, absolutely. Well. Yeah, Do you think, think that wraps well? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, it, I think right? it's a good place, man. I think, I think I think we did pretty well on this one. I think we tied this up pretty nicely.
1: Yeah, man. I feel like, uh, you know, if I was talking a bit quiet today, everybody, it's quite late here. My daughter's asleep. Uh, (laughs) It's warm as hell. I am sweating. I usually have a fan on,
0: but my mic will pick it up. So I've got it off and I'm just like, dude, man, it's so (laughs) hot. (laughs) in the UK summer heat. Yo, I like the new beanie, man. I saw you showing it off on, uh, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, but I like it, man. So I'll be honest with you. When it comes to the Celtics logo, generally, I'm somewhat of a traditionalist, but the white and black beanie is pretty fire. So I got the, the, um, there's
1: like a long sleeve, um, it's like, um, it's like a jumper, but it's not because it's thin, you know? Is it a onesie? No, no, no. It's just a jumper, <laughs> long sleeve jumper, but like, um, it's got this same logo on the chest.
2: Okay. And, um,
1: then just Celtics down, but the same color. It's new era. So it's like a new era like collection. It. And then I've got the track, um, the track bottoms, you know, like, um, the tracksuit pants. Um, you know, so I got it on a deal. I think it was like, um, I think it's less than a hundred for the whole ensemble with the hat, the the, top and the pants? I was like, "Yo, you got to do it, man." New era as well. Got <laughs> And we don't get much Celtics attire out here that aren't jerseys. So whenever yep. I see any of it, I just snap it up real quick. And but I don't like them hats with the pom poms on. I don't know why, but yeah, I, can't I don't do like those it. either. They, they they just don't look cool on me. I can't I yeah. can't pull it up. It's not something that, that works. I'm getting for me. I'm getting robbed. If I walk the streets with a hat with a pom pom, someone's mugging me. That's just how it's going. So um. <laughs> I'm not willing to put myself in a position where I lose my car because I wanted a hat with a pom-pom. Um, yeah. yeah, so everybody listening, make sure you go follow my boy Will. You can find him at Twitter at WillBond13, W-I-L-L-B-O-N-1-3. Have you with a follow, y'all. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at AdamTaylorNBA. Try and, um, you know, just definitely check out that YouTube stuff. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on IG. As usual, please leave that five-star written review for the show. You might not think it helps, but the amount it helps is ridiculous. It helps us rank higher up in the podcast charts. It shows us off to new people. And then if you write something nice, it makes me have a really good day. And I like having good days. I try to be a happy person. If you don't have Apple, so you can't leave those reviews, just, you know, the water cooler chit-chat, let them know about this show, put it on in the car with your, with your peoples or just recommend it to your friends when you're at balling down at LA Fitness or whatever it may be. <laughs> we will catch you again on Monday. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening because you've got this far. We do um, apologize for boring you for like 45 minutes, but you know, well, hopefully <laughs> we added some value there too. Everybody have a good one and we'll catch you again soon.